Hello, and welcome to the Badger Talks podcast, the podcast that shares interviews with experts from the University of Wisconsin-Madison community about their work, research, and a little bit about what they're like as people. I'm your host, Buzz Kemper. Today, we're focusing on cell and regenerative biology, and I'm happy to have as my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Dilworth, professor at UW-Madison, to talk about his work in this field. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you, Buzz, for having me. I'm really fascinated by this. In fact, all of these interviews, uh, I walk away a a somewhat smarter person, which is a really wonderful thing. But there are some terms in here that I don't recognize. And, uh, And so I wonder if we should just start with some of the general terms. Like one of the things you deal with is epigenetics. Can you tell us what that is? Yes. So epigenetics refers to everything that isn't encoded into our genome. And we've got uh, 200 different cell types that make up our body, and every single one of them has the same DNA in them. What is different is how each one of those cells uses the DNA. And so that is encoded through a mechanism which is called epigenetics. And the way the epigenetics works is think about it as... um, You have to get all of that DNA into a nucleus. The DNA is very compacted to fit inside. And you've got 20,000 different genes within within that DNA, Mm -hmm. and not all of them are going to be used. So it's kind of like you've got 20 different sweaters, some of them very thick, some of them a little lighter for the summer. And you've got to try and get them into a drawer. You go, you place them in, and you're going to put the winter ones down at the bottom in the summer, the summer ones up at the top, you change that up when the weather changes. So the environment is changing, you're going to adapt and move things around. The same way your cell is going to take the 20,000 genes, it's going to put in the bottom the compacted area, the genes that it doesn't want to use, and leave available uh, easy access, the genes that it might want to turn on. Uh, to make that cell work. But then something will happen, like the change in the weather, you're eating a different kind of food. Your cell has to adapt and change the genes that it's turned on. And it will move some of those genes from the bottom of the drawer up to the top of the drawer and make them more accessible. And all of this happens through a tagging system. So imagine which sweaters you're paying someone to put all your sweaters into Uh, your drawer, and how do you make them aware of which ones you want up on the top and which ones you want on the bottom? So you come up with a sticker system. Green stickers mean that they go in the bottom, they're going to be the summer clothes. Winter clothes get a red sticker. Okay. So the epigenetic mechanism works through the sticker system. You you take a chemical modification, you put it on a gene, it gets a red sticker, it's going to be turned off, If it gets a green sticker, it's going to be turned on. And basically what that does, um, there's machinery which is going to read through the DNA. It's going to find, okay, it's got a red sticker. Let's compact that. This other gene here has a green sticker, and we're going to let that one be at the top of the cell so that we can go and turn that gene on in order to 
have the function of the cell. And you probably don't call in the, in the cell world, you probably don't call these markers stickers. What, what is the proper term in, in your world? So these would be called epigenetic modifications, and, and they're, ju- they're just tiny little um, modifications that happen either to the DNA or the proteins that the DNA is wound around. And uh, so these would be uh, acetylation marks, methylation marks, and what we're trying to understand in the laboratory is how do these different enzymes function? How do these different proteins that put in place the stickers or the epigenetic marks, how do they find the genes within the genome? And what we know is in aging, you are going to turn on a completely different set of genes compared to when you're young. And so what happens as we get older, which changes the positioning of these epigenetic marks within the genome or the sticker system, what what causes the red sticker to somehow be moved onto the sweaters that have normally a green sticker? So is it the case then that two things can go wrong? Either a marker is is turned on, we'll just use turned on and off as reasonable yeah. <laughs> uh, explanations for what's happening here, that either a marker is turned on that should not be, uh, but it is also possible for a marker to not be turned on, which should be. Are both those things possible? Absolutely. Okay, and you deal with and you deal with both these, these issues? Yes, yes. Excellent. And so I think one thing that... Um, we have to keep in mind about um, muscle regeneration or regeneration of any tissues. The stem cells that we have in our body are used um, while we're in the womb embryos in order to make all the muscle of our body. But those same stem cells are present when you're 15 years old and you have that huge growth spurt where your parents are having to buy you a new pair of pants halfway through the school year because right. you grew a few inches. Right. You have to have stem cells in order to elongate the, the bones and, and elongate the muscles. And even if you live to be 100 years old and you're frail, you still have the muscle stem cells present and they have the same DNA in them that you had when you were five years old and, and growing. They were okay. just supercharged at that one point, and for some reason, the genes that were turned on that made them supercharged have got the wrong sticker on them as we get older and are unable to turn on the genes necessary for a good regeneration. And so the goal of what we want to do in the laboratory um, here uh, in Madison is that we want to figure out well, what happens over time which causes those markings to change? And mm-hmm. then we turn on unwanted genes and, and we turn off the ones that would make them supercharged when, when you were young with, with the hope that we're going to um, be able to put an end to frailty and let everyone enjoy their life as, as they get older, mm-hmm. uh, keep their mobility. I, I think um, uh, not having mobility is something that um, sort of takes away your pride as you get older, that you mm-hmm. want to be able to keep up with your kids, you want to keep up with your grandkids, and this is all about uh, trying to do that. As we grow older, then, do the same cells that generate the muscles, either in the womb or, like you said, during this growth spurt, 
are these the same cells that later in life then will repair muscles when we damage them? They just have different markers at that point. Is that correct? Absolutely. And one thing that we have realized in the last couple of years that through some discoveries that we've made and, and also some of our colleagues around the world is that the inflammation that we get as we get older plays a huge role in these changes. Mm. I, I was just on the drive over here to meet you today and and I think there was a commercial with Emmett Smith talking about uh, joint pain and this sort of thing. Um, and so th that joint pain arthritis is inflammation um, right. circulating through your body. And, and what we found uh, in a work that we published last year was that inflammation that was coming from an injury on one leg actually had an effect on the stem cells in the other leg, that the circulating inflammatory signals that uh, are moving around through the blood were impairing the ability of the stem cells on the other leg to react to the injury and, and repair the muscle. Hmm. And so if, if you imagine that in the scenario of aging where we have arthritis and we have constant um, inflammation and uh, the, these inflammatory markers circulating in our body, that's going to go into our stem cells and change these epigenetic marks and hmm. genes that you want to turn on are not going to come on because they have a red sticker instead of a green sticker. Okay. And that's going to impair their ability to, to regenerate. But yeah. the nice thing about epigenetics is that all of those stickers that go on can be pulled off. Everything epigenetic is reversible. Okay. And this is where you come in. Exactly. Okay, excellent. Let's go down that road. What has your research shown in terms of how to repair or or change these stickers or markers so that the cells are doing what we want them to do rather than either doing nothing or doing something that we don't want them to do. Yeah. Yes. So the, the work that we um, published last year looked at this one gene called JMJD3, which is an epigenetic enzyme. It's responsible for removing a sticker which tells the gene that it should be turned off. And basically the role of that gene there is when you have an injury and there's inflammation occurring. And of course, I, I don't want to say that inflammation is always bad. If you don't have inflammation after an injury, you're not going to get the repair of the muscle. So it's a necessary part of the repair process. Uh, but it's just when it's prolonged, you can't get the repair. Mm -hmm. But what we found was that this gene which removes the, the stop sticker uh, prevents the gene expression. If you don't have that, then the stem cell is unable to uh, wake itself up in response to the injury and activate uh, the process of regeneration. So, so that work there was done by removing the gene. But what we know in aging is that that gene, which is normally expressed at high levels in the stem cells when you're young, as you get older, its levels start to decrease. You have less of it, which means that those cells that have lower amounts of this protein called JMJD3 are not able to respond to the injuries as, um, as readily in the conditions of uh, inflammation. So what we would like to do is come up with ways uh, which are going to allow us to increase the levels of JMJD3 in the cells of people as they get older. 
and and you could do that theoretically through um, through a drug that that might uh, decide that JMJD3 gets turned on instead of being turned off, but it could also happen through uh, nutrition and. and uh, Everything about epigenetics is interpretation of the environment mm-hmm. around the cell. And that's the food that we eat, the smoke that was in the air from the firefighters mm-hmm. earlier this year. All of those things are recorded in our body that you've been exposed to these things through epigenetic mechanisms. And so stresses that you've had at mm-hmm. different times in your life, those get recorded through epigenetic mechanisms and maybe that stress isn't going to have an immediate effect on your health but it might set up your body for a future event might cause that epigenetic change that happened due to the stress to Mm. eventually have a negative effect on your health so it's very important all of the different exposures that we get through our life that's yeah and that's a great thing to think about because we all recognize the immediate effects if we go out and there's um you know there's been a you know a wildfire in canada and the bad air comes down here and we go outside we don't like the smell of the air it might make us cough but then there are also these longer term effects which are probably harder to identify just because they might happen what months years later yes okay the the epigenome is there throughout your lifetime so it could be a decade before a decade or two before you actually feel the effects so this research that you're doing in this work that you're doing can obviously help people as they're aging we're talking about arthritis we're talking about inflammation things like that what about diseases like muscular dystrophy things like that i imagine that your work can have uh, an impact on these things as well Absolutely, yes. Uh, and what we do know about the disease state is that the in muscular dystrophy, the tissue is constantly uh, in a cycle of being broken down and then being repaired. And so child that's born with muscular dystrophy, at unless they've had a genetic test, at a very early age, you're not going to look at the child and say that child has muscular dystrophy because they've already formed all of their muscle. But the muscle uh, has a problem, uh, kind of the the muscles tend to tear because Mm. the gene which is mutated is kind of like a shock absorber. So you can drive your car around without a shock absorber, but it's going to be an uncomfortable ride and uh, eventually... Uh, you're going to get uh, maybe some bolts loosening, that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. and the same thing, the, the muscle is going to break down a little bit. It's going to get repaired, and then it's going to break down some more and get repaired. And, and eventually, uh, after this cycle becomes too repetitive, you're going to build up a lot of inflammation, mm-hmm. a lot of scar tissue within and, and there, the repair process is going to uh, diminish. And what we've realized over the last few years is that it is a disease of stem cells mm-hmm. um, in that the stem cells are able to repair the tissue early on in their life and keep them that, that they might be slower at crawling around, but they can still move around a little bit. Okay. But when the stem cells stop being able to keep up with the rate that the tissue, the muscle is being broken down, then you really run into problems and and, uh, unfortunately we haven't come up with the the cure for it yet but I'm hoping that 
the, the work that we're doing is going to help us uh, understand how to keep the stem cells going uh, functionally for a longer period. Yeah, that's terrific. I and mean, it must be really gratifying to know that you're making progress in that and that you're working toward this this goal where you could just have an enormous impact on people's quality of life. I admire that you're doing that and it must be really gratifying to do that. Let me ask you just on a personal level, when you're not doing this kind of work, what gets your mind off of it and helps you relax? Are you a cyclist, a hiker? Do you, do, do you have activities, hobbies that you like to do? I definitely love to go hiking, and um, we just moved to Madison six months ago from Canada. I, I had oh. my laboratory up in Canada for 18 years. Uh, we chose to come to Madison, uh, first of all, because it's a great university uh, and a fantastic uh, stem cell environment here, but also because the city's beautiful and so much nature mm-hmm. uh, out here. We've got uh, two big dogs, uh, Alaskan Malamute and a Great Pyrenee mix and oh, nice. um, getting out in nature and walking, hiking with them is uh, how I spend a lot of the free time. Uh, I also, I, I had trained in France when I was younger and uh, fell in love with French wines at, at that mm. point there. So uh, w- one of my other hobbies is to um, learn about wines, taste wines and uh meet up and have a drink of wine with some friends. Nice. A long hike followed by a glass of wine. That's yes. perfect. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you, Buzz, for having me. You've been listening to the Badger Talks podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Dilworth. Please browse our previous episodes for other topics that may be of interest to you. The Badger Talks podcast is a creation of UW Connects and produced at Audio for the Arts Recording Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. Our music is composed by Bill Purdy and performed by the UW Marching Band. I'm Buzz Kemper. Thank you for listening. Thank you.